Mediatrix Radio presents Pathways to Rome, a weekly hour-long journey that brings Rome home for you. Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Gus Kilo and Kathy Kerfoot, take us on an audio tour of the Vatican where every work of art, building, and liturgical event is a unique expression of Christianity. The center of the Catholic faith teaches while it inspires, but there's a lot to learn. So let's join our tour guides for this week's apologetic adventure. Welcome to today's show, Pathways to Rome, the show that brings Rome home to you. We're going to be talking about some of the important themes of Pope Benedict's papacy, some of the things that he thinks it's important that we know about the church, about our place in the church. So I just wanted to begin by reminding our listeners that Pope Benedict's fifth anniversary as Pope was April 19th of this year. And so in light of that, I think it's important that we talk about the Pope's impact in these five years. And and with me in the studio today is Gus Killo, and Father Kirby is joining us from Rome. And Gus, I'd like to start with you. What impresses you about Pope Benedict? When I saw the white smoke come out, and uh, knew we had a pope. Uh, when, I, when I learned that, that Pope Benedict XVI was actual a former uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, I was elated because of uh, you know, my strong affection for Pope John Paul II, and there was a very strong tie there. Plus, I, I used to live in Germany, so I thought it was really cool. I had a very strong sense of things are going to be good. The world's gotten a little crazy in the last uh, 50, 60 years. And Pope Benedict, one of the things that he really conveys to me is he's, he's an anchor. He anchors us down in this world that's just going, going nuts. He seems so intellectual, and yet he has the heart of a true shepherd, of a true pastor. The fact that he was the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith before, we knew him. We knew his track record in that regard. They were calling him God's Rottweiler, God's <laughs> Rottweiler, you know. Everybody thought he was going to crack down on this and crack down on that. And yet his modus operandi has been that of, of love, coming out and saying God is love and his first encyclical being on love. That blew me away. You know, mm-hmm. I was expecting fire and brimstone, and uh, I think the heart of this man is so warm as a pastor. I'm just thrilled to have him as pope. How about, how about you, Father? You've had the privilege of being out there in Rome in his shadow practically. What are your uh, impressions of our of our Holy Father? Well, also, Gus, I have to say that when I first saw the white smoke, and I was actually in South Carolina, so I was watching it on TV, and I also remember just watching the smoke and, and thinking, wow, this is great. Like, you know, we have a Pope, and uh, for myself, it was the first time I'd ever really seen something like that because Pope John Paul had been Pope for so long. And when they announced Joseph Ratzinger, I, I was just beside myself. I thought, this is, this is phenomenal. Um, this is exactly what the Church needs. Uh, here's a man who is a clear teacher, someone who can gently correct and guide in the ways that we're supposed to be living and, and believing, and, and here, here's a true shepherd. And since then, as Pope for the last five years, and it's hard to believe it's been five years, but in these five years, the thing that has most impressed me is that here's a, a man who can, in a very practical, real way, touch the heart of humanity. Whenever he teaches, he begins with just lived experience with basic human encounters and emotions and thoughts, and he takes those, he summarizes them, and then he starts to lead us uh, to a teaching of truth and then ultimately to an encounter with God. And he's able to do it masterfully. 
masterfully. As they say, uh, John Paul, uh, people came to see John Paul, but they come to listen to Benedict. Hmm. I've heard that. Because his teaching resonates with the heart of people. He's like, he's talking to me. Mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, would oftentimes say that they sit in a homily or a talk given by Benedict or they read something that he's written, and they're like, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Like, this makes sense. And so, again, just as a great teacher, a great shepherd, he's able to take these great ideas that can sometimes be so overwhelming, uh, so difficult, we sometimes play them out so dramatically, and he just deflates all that, and he takes us right back to basic truth and to a living encounter with God. And uh, I've experienced it. I know many have experienced it. I think our church is experiencing it uh, with him uh, as, uh, as our pope, as the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Mm -hmm. Kathy, I'm curious if there's something that has stood out for you with, with our Holy Father. Well, I remember the white smoke, of course, and I didn't know who Joseph Ratzinger was before he became Pope Benedict. But I remember hearing, you know, that he was going to be, you said like Rottweiler, but I remember hearing the word, the German shepherd, and, mm -hmm. and I kind of took it in two different ways. It was like, well, what do you mean? Is he going to put an end to things that were happening in the church and, and just do a complete overhaul? Or is he going to be the German shepherd that is German because of his heritage and a shepherd of his people? I think that was the big question for a lot of people, mm -hmm. and it turned out that he was the German heritage pope who shepherds his people mm -hmm. gently and through a, a beautiful humbleness that he has. And he's such an incredible teacher, such an incredible theologian. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so much of that has been Pope Benedict in this five years, a pope that's patient, full of joy, at peace. His goodness is resonating. Those just described Pope Benedict to me. I remember when he was elected, people were saying, oh my goodness, we've elected a very old pope. And I remember the terms that were being applied to him were, he's a transitional pope. <laughs> As I was talking about this with my friends, someone said, well, which pope hasn't been a transitional pope? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they're, they're all transitional popes. They pass on the, the, the teachings of Christ for you know the last 2,000 years. Each pope has been a transitional pope, ha handing it on in the sense of transition or tradition. Mm -hmm. That was one thing. You know, the other thing, Father, is that my family started going to the Latin Mass that was being made available once a month at our parish, and my boys, boy, they were they, they were just so attracted to that and serving as altar boys at, at the Latin Mass. And I didn't know much about the Latin Mass. I'd never had a particular affection for it. I think it was such a brilliant move on the Pope's part that, you know, he called the Novus Ordo, you know, the, the ordinary, and then he called the... Uh, the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, the extraordinary. Yeah, here's the ordinary form of the uh, the Roman Rite, and here's the extraordinary form. This could have been a controversial issue, and oh, you know, a lot of people worried we're going back to this. And he said, no, you know, he, he liberated it. He said, you're free to go back. The Mass that's developed over time for the last 1,500 years is uh, an extraordinary form. And he freed all priests to be able to go say the Latin Mass if they so chose to. That's been a blessing for us. We've really enjoyed the fact that uh, our pastor does have a, uh, a weekly Latin Mass. Going back to the Pope, to me, that shows his, his brilliance and his simplicity, handling what could have been a thorny issue in a, a very diplomatic way, I, I think. 
Wait, and you know, I immediately, as I hear that story, and, and so often in the pontificate of, of Pope Benedict, you know, we, we turn right to the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, it is the wise steward, you know, who has been disciplined in the law, in the teachings of God, who is able to draw from the storehouse the old and the new, mm-hmm. and is able to discern what should be done, how it should be done. And, and guys, you pointed to the example of liturgy. Uh, others can point to Pope Benedict's use of the intellectual tradition, that he will draw from the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas and the Scholastic School of Thought, which was a strong school of thought that used reason. But then he also draws from the Franciscan school that uses a lot of emotion and a lot of the will in their theology. Mm-hmm. And Pope Benedict's able to sit there and draw from each of these different schools of thought the good so that a greater point can be made. And he does that throughout his pontificate, in the liturgy, in his theology, in his teachings, in, in his own life, in the way he approaches people when he's been challenged or criticized. You know, we saw it in Africa when, when he spoke about condoms, the, the outcry against him, and so on. And we see it in other areas, and yet his response is always tempered with patience and humility. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that throughout. And, and that's why he just stands not simply by theology as the Vicar of Christ, but really by personal witness that he is the Vicar of Christ to us and to our world. Not only is it important to talk about the man himself and our reflections about him, but now let's go ahead and talk about some of the themes that are important to him during his papacy. The first one, I think his core, is based on his first encyclical, which is titled God is Love. And in that... He says that's the core Christian message for all of us, is that God is love. And then he goes on and builds upon that. But, Father, what are your thoughts about Deus Caritas Est? You know, Kathy, I think that's a great question. And I know Gus had had mentioned earlier about his initial reaction to the first encyclical. I think after the election of, of Pope Benedict and the fact that he came from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is kind of the body in in the Vatican that watches for Orthodox teaching for integrity in the teaching of the faith because he came from that i think we were all kind of expecting this kind of hard line this strong kind of reaction in his first encyclical and instead what we find in this first encyclical is he calls us immediately to the god who is love and it's precisely this god who is love that shows us what we're called to be as human beings how we're to live how we are to believe and hope and love and so on. And so Holy Father, from the very first encyclical, is calling all believers and all men and women of goodwill to the God who is love. And so he's not going to immediately choose all the issues that cause divisions. He's not going to allow discipline to be the first thing that he does. Instead, he's going to immediately say, let's go to the heart of the matter. Let's go to the face of our loving Father, shown to us in Jesus Christ, to the God who is love. And so I, I was just so amazed and surprised. And then when I read the encyclical, edified by what the Holy Father uh, had written. Mm-hmm. And really, he says the true example of love is to look at Jesus. He said that's the kind of love that he describes in Deus Caritas Est. He really wanted to emphasize that the human love of Eros is is pointing to the divine love. It's a reflection of the divine love, and it's meant to meant to draw all of humanity up into that. And, of course, we know we're, we're in a world saturated with the, the false understanding of Eros. And 
People were worried he'd come out uh, lambasting us and doing a bunch of um, house cleaning and all that. But that is what the human race need is, needs is the correct understanding of what love is in our relationship to God. And then he goes further than that, and he tells us that that eros love, you know, whether it be uh, love between a husband and wife in a sacramental marriage or a sacramental priesthood, it all has to be, like Gus said, raised up into an agape-type love, mm-hmm. where it's a love of complete giving of oneself, you know, whether it be to the church or to your husband or wife and family but that total self-giving type of love, which is the agape love. Absolutely. I know a lot of people were surprised when the encyclical was released because the Holy Father actually spoke very highly and favorably in regards to Eros love. And, of course, oftentimes people have the misunderstanding that the Catholic Church's anti-body, anti-sex, uh, against pleasure, and so on. And here the Pope is speaking very openly that, no, Eros is good. It's a part of human nature. But when Eros is removed from agape, mm-hmm. in other words, when you know a love of pleasure or of the body or of another person is removed from that selfless love, which is the core, the heart of, of full love, then Eros becomes something else. Eros becomes lust. Yeah. Eros actually becomes something that destroys the person as opposed to leading the person to the fullness of love. And I thought that was a very interesting and, and helpful move for each of us to understand you know, our own power to love, and as an instruction to our world, to see love in a different way. Yeah. It's a completeness of love, which is the agape love. And some of the other themes that he has uh, spoken about, one of the next things he really wanted to emphasize is the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus of Nazareth, the historical figure, is, is Lord over all the world. You know, Jesus is Lord which uh, which is really the, the thought that's expressed in, in his first book that he wrote as Pope, Jesus of Nazareth, really emphasizing the, the lordship of Christ. Christ isn't just a, a moral teacher uh, like Gandhi or Buddha or whatever. He's above and beyond that. He is Lord. He is God. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Father? You know, I think that here, especially if the Vicar of Christ just point us to the Lord Jesus, then he has fulfilled his commission from God. You know, that is the role of the papacy, of bishops, of priests, of fellow Christians to one another, is for each of us to point to the face of God our Father, the God who is love, and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus Christ that we're able to even see the Father's love, to know about this God who is love. And so I think that the, the fact that the Pope is pointing to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, here, here's the fulfillment of every hope, every desire, in Jesus, we find all the shadows of the past, all the myths and legends of previous eras. Here in this man, we see the fulfillment of all the prophecies, everything that the Old Testament pointed to. Here in this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, is fulfilled. And here is when we turn to him that he shows us our Father in heaven, and he shows us ourselves. He shows us what we can be, mm-hmm. the depth, the creativity to love that is within us that can be awakened in us by grace if we accept him. That's what the Lord Jesus desires to do for us. And so the fact that the Pope would point to Jesus is essential. That's the whole point of the Church. And so, again, just very inspired by this Pope who takes his own commission by the Lord so seriously and immediately points, here, here's Jesus. Here he is. 
Right. And, and some people wonder, what does it mean to be the vicar of Christ? And of course, the word vicar comes from vicarious. I mean, he is, he is he's Christ vicariously. And so, like you say, that's the core of his role to, to point to Christ and uh, chief of all priests and all bishops. Another core principle or theme that Pope Benedict wants us to be aware of is that truth and freedom are two sides of the same coin. And and basically in that, he's saying that in truth, we will find freedom. And, and freedom in today's world is marked by what he calls a dictatorship of relativism. Nobody wants to have to abide by somebody else's rules mm-hmm. or somebody else's doctrine. So everybody has their own doctrine. Everybody has their own way. And, and everybody wants to be free in that way. But Pope Benedict calls us back to realizing that to be truly free is to be the person that Christ wants us to be. And that's when we're going to be truly free, because otherwise we could be blown around, like he says, with the wind of all these different worldviews that are out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the the dictatorship is your religion is as good as mine. Your truth is as as good as mine, except for when you want to want to believe in absolute truth. Pope Benedict very gently is pointing us in a positive way towards absolute truth. And that, that's hard to do in a world that doesn't want to be told things in absolute terms. Mm-hmm. Freedom doesn't mean licentiousness, freedom to go do whatever you want. It means knowing what you were created for and, 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 being and that. fulfilling that purpose is ultimate freedom. Yeah. And I think anyone who is open to the beginnings of understanding freedom in that way can begin to understand what the Holy Father is teaching, and really what what the Gospel is teaching, because oftentimes the distinction is made that we view freedom as, as freedom from, freedom from rules, freedom right. from authority, freedom, you know, from restriction, and so on. But but the Gospels and, and, and the New Testament and, and Christian theology and the teachings of Pope Benedict see it much differently. You know, they say, no, actually freedom is for. Freedom is for goodness. Freedom is for virtue. Freedom is for holiness. And it's when we begin to see that freedom is the power to do good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Freedom, is, freedom doesn't mean I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's the power to do good. And, and before Jesus Christ, we didn't have that power. We were stuck right. in sin. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do good. But in Jesus Christ, we can actually be freed by the power of his grace from sin. And we can have hope. And in that hope, we can begin to see the workings of his grace. It, lies become truth. Impurity becomes purity. Abuse of alcohol becomes sobriety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the workings of grace, because we now have the power to do good. And that's freedom. And we begin to understand freedom in that biblical sense. We begin to understand that freedom is married to truth, because it's truth that teaches and enlightens and strengthens freedom, so that we can become, as Kathy, you were saying, the person that Jesus wants us to be. St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians that each of us can become the full stature of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Holy Father is speaking of when he speaks about this relationship of freedom and truth to one another. Mm-hmm. The analogy I've always used either with my children or when I taught high school, you know, a lot of the high school students tend to bristle at the thought of having their freedoms restricted. But I'm like, well, when you get in a car... You have lines that restrict you, but it, but really it frees you because if you didn't have that, you'd be smashing into each other mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be free to get from point A to point B. That liberates you. 
some people joking the other joking with me the other day saying well it's easy for you cuz you're catholic and i said well you know what you're right when when you believe in absolute truth you don't have to debate whether something is good or bad if you know that it's good or you know that it's bad and then you're free to act on that without second guessing yourself uh, yeah. you know it's important for daily living to believe in truth and realize that it does set you free the truth does set you free exactly Okay. All right. One of the next themes that was made very clear at the University of Regensburg is the uh, the speech that our Holy Father gave. They are discussing the relationship of faith and reason. Faith is not against reason. Faith complements reason. And there's a big controversy in this world that if you have faith, then you have to be unreasonable. Or if you're reasonable, then you have to be unfaithful. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. and the Pope you know, brings these two together beautifully, saying, no, they're two parts of the same reality, faith and reason. What is it? Faith, fides, querens, intellectum, faith, seeking, understanding. You know, what was powerful in that speech was when he said that if reason is allowed not to have faith, then what eventually happens is reason has to compensate for what has been lost because of the absence of faith. And so reason actually begins to become unreasonable hmm. because it begins to demand of the human mind and by extension by human society things that humanity cannot accept, things that the human person should not accept. As you were saying, Gus says that reason needs faith and faith needs reason because if faith stands on its own and it doesn't have reason, which is the point he specifically made at Regensburg, then faith becomes fanatical. And if reason stands alone without faith, it becomes empty. And it begins to assume parts that are not within reason's domain. And he says when the two are allowed to walk together, faith enlightening reason, reason assisting faith, then the human person is able to grow. In the previous cyclical, Fides et Ratio, written by Pope John Paul II, and Cardinal Ratzinger was in charge of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, when that encyclical was written, John Paul uses the beautiful image. He says that it is on the wings of faith and reason that the human spirit soars. You know, that mm-hmm. these two powers allow the person to become what he's called to be in Jesus Christ. And Pope Benedict is definitely insisting upon this, that faith is reasonable. That's one of his big themes, as, as we're talking about the themes that, that are so important to him, is that Faith is reasonable. It's reasonable. Faith is above reason. It can't be completely explained by reason. But to have faith is not unreasonable. Yeah, it's not against reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly, it's not against. So, for for example, I use the example sometimes of people that, if I'm not feeling well, I go to my doctor. Now, I've never studied medicine. I go to my doctor. I see on her wall she has all these degrees. She's been trained in medicine. She should know what she's talking about. I go in, she asks the symptoms, she assesses the situation, she makes a diagnosis. I don't know medicine. It's beyond reason for me to know whether her diagnosis is accurate. But it's not unreasonable of me to trust this doctor in the same way with faith. My reason can't fully explain all the truths of faith. But because of who God is, it is reasonable for me to believe the truth of faith. And that is one of the main lessons because we've forgotten that in the West. We have turned faith into fairy tales. It's Jesus, Snow White, and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Pope Edmund saying, no, this is real. This is historical. This is something you can bet your life on to change your life for the good. I remember one priest saying, Christ said it, 
I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> you know, Christ, Christ doesn't say that which is unreasonable, and God can't be unreasonable, and therefore we have the absolute best grounds for our faith. Is God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful way to wrap up this first half of Pathways to Rome. When we return for the second half, we will be going through some more themes that Pope Benedict wants us to know. We're looking forward to you joining us again for our second half of Pathways to Rome. You're listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrix radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. If you would like to listen to this show again or previous broadcast of Pathways to Rome, visit our website, www.catholicradioinsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrix Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrix Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. Put the power of video to work for you. Whether it's a short marketing presentation or an hour-long training video, turn to the Emmy Award-winning experts at Extreme Vision Studios. Present your message clearly and concisely. Video allows you to produce your image and gives you a professional look that shines. Call Extreme Vision Studios today for a free consultation. The number is 864-590-9970. That number again is 864-590-9970. Extreme Vision Studios, proud sponsor of South Carolina Catholic Radio. Polydex Screen Corporation, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, was founded in Spartanburg in 1978 to manufacture and market modular synthetic screen media in North America, serving the gold, copper, phosphate, and aggregate industries. Polydex strives to honor God in all they do. Their phone number is 864-579-4594. They're also on the web at www.polydexscreen.com. St. Anthony's Catholic Store, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, offers books on apologetics, spirituality, theology, and church history to assist adults and children in their faith formation. They also provide sacred vessels, vestments, and hand-carved statuary to parishes and maintain an inventory of baptismal, communion, confirmation, and wedding gifts. For more information about this family-owned business located at 443C Congaree Road near Haywood Mall, John or Judy can be reached at 864-288-0335. Holly Tree Pediatric Dentistry, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, is located at 1334 South Highway 14 between Woodruff Road and Main Street in Simpsonville. Dr. Ann Bynum specializes in pediatric dentistry and has cared for the dental health of upstate children since opening her practice in 1997. For more information, Dr. Ann's website is hollytreepediatricdentistry.com. Our Holly Tree's phone number is 864-297-5585. That's 864-297-5585. AKJ Consulting, a proud sponsor of Catholic Radio, in cooperation with New Way Properties, utilizes years of experience to assist people in finding and acquiring affordable housing in the upstate. They also have a program to assist those in danger of going into foreclosure. For more information, David Case can be reached at 864-430-4877. That's 864-430-4877.
There's a new way to get rid of an old car, truck, or gas guzzler. No matter what condition it is in, Catholic Charities will pick it up at home, office, or repair shop and handle all of the paperwork. Catholic Charities is a 501c3 not-for-profit entity associated with the Diocese of Charleston. For more information, Catholic Charities can be reached at 877-885-4483. That's 877-885-GIVE. Or reach them on the web at www.supportcatholiccharities.org. Priest for Life organizes a monthly rosary led by a priest or deacon of the Diocese of Charleston every third Saturday in each month. Members from local parishes gather to pray the rosary from 8 to 9 a.m. at the West Ashley Abortion Facility located at 1312 Ashley River Road. That's at the corner of Highway 61 in Fusler in Charleston. For further information, Stephen Boyle can be reached at 843-763-0681. In these challenging economic times, our taxes are probably going up. In Matthew 22, Jesus says to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So is it enough to be resigned and pay our taxes while giving our hearts to God? The real question is, how can we give to Caesar in such a way that transforms society for the good of the kingdom? What can we do with our resources and the taxes we pay to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and serve the least of our brothers that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25? Since after all, it's not our money. I'm Joe Galloway. Pathways to Rome was made possible by donations from Dr. Larry and Iris Minetti, Jim and Jan Carino, Donald and Marilyn Reichert, an anonymous sponsor of Catholic Radio, and contributions from Mediatrics Radio listeners. To learn more about Pathways to Rome or to listen to this or other episodes, Mediatrics Radio's website is www.catholicradioinsc.com. And now we return to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Welcome back to Pathways to Rome. We have Father Kirby joining us from Rome. Kathy Kerfoot here in the studio with me, Gus Killo. And we've been talking about Pope Benedict XVI on the fifth anniversary of his becoming Pope on April 19th. Some of the themes we discussed were God is love, Deus Caritas Est, his first encyclical, Jesus is Lord. We also took a look at truth and freedom, how uh, truth and freedom can't be separated, and also faith and reason, the last theme, that faith and reason go together, that faith is above reason but not against reason. We're going to continue with some of the other themes that are really, really important to the Holy Father. Very early on in his papacy, there was World Youth Day. And at World Youth Day, he really emphasized to the German youth there in Cologne. Not only to the German youth, but youth from around the world. Well, that's true, the youth around the world. But it was in Germany, and so in German, in his native tongue, talking about the Eucharist. You know, of course, a lot of Germans were probably wondering, oh, is is he going to take us to task for low mass attendance and some of the issues that are uh, you know happening there in Europe and no he he emphasized you know the Eucharist is the heart of the Christian life and Father why was that such an important theme to our Holy Father I think similar with Deus Caritas asked with his first encyclical to the Universal Church I think that the Holy Father is very concerned about basic understanding of our faith and particularly in the relational aspect that God has to be someone real to us, that our relationship with him 
has to be substantial. That faith cannot be allowed to be merely a fantasy or, or something that I believe because it makes me feel good or, you know, cast out all kinds of fear. Uh, certainly faith can do that. But when faith is simply used as, as some type of medicine, you know, for the soul, self-imposed medicine, you know, a, a, as if it were a fantasy, then, you know, the, the person cannot grow. So I think Pope Benedict really is trying to emphasize, especially with his teaching on the Eucharist, that, that God is real. You know, and that God loves humanity. God loves me. And God will do anything in order to enter into this relationship with me so that I can understand him and he can show me who I am so that I can begin to see and find the strength by his grace to become that person in better and better ways, the scriptures say, from glory unto glory. I think the Pope immediately points to the Eucharist, to the Lord, and says, here, here, here is the source. Here is the summit of everything we do as Christian believers. Here is Jesus in our midst. You know, here is the Lord. And I think that that is one of the central messages because we have to retrieve this relational aspect. God has to become real in our lives and we have to understand that he desires a relationship with us. Not merely a cold ascent to rules, not merely, you know, a, a checkbox of things that he expects us to do. No, he desires a relationship of love. It will involve those things. Mm-hmm. It will involve commitments and responsibilities and so on. But it's done in love. It's done because we love him and because we want to show our gratitude in love to him and we want his love to be able to transform us. So I think that's why the Pope is pointing to the Eucharist in Cologne and to our pontificate. He's really emphasizing the power of our Lord in the Eucharist to transform the world. Well, and then he goes on to say, and then that has to radiate out, mm-hmm. and then you have to go out and take that with you. After you have received the Eucharist, then you have to go out and give Jesus to the rest of the world. I've heard it said something similar like that before, like the consecration being like you can't see x-rays, but the radiation coming through and changing the host. You don't see the x-rays, but a change has taken place in the tissue. And that's the way I kind of think of it. And and the Pope has talked about it being like a nuclear fission that happens, which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on to saying like that we have to become what we consume, what Augustine said, we have to become Jesus when and take Jesus out into the world. We become that which we eat versus that becoming us. You know, mm-hmm. when we say uh, you are what you eat, uh, normally means we we raise a, a chicken to a higher level by becoming human. But when we receive the Eucharist, we are raised to a higher level by consuming the body and blood of our Lord. And the Italian word is manja, yeah. which, you know, I heard a priest say that's from the word manger. And who is in the manger right. but Jesus? The, the, the bread of life yeah. at Bethlehem, the house of bread. Yeah. Sorry, we're off on a little tangent here, but uh, it's it's easy to do whether when we're talking about the Eucharist here, Father. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I, oftentimes, particularly in the Southeast, can sometimes be asked whether we have a personal relationship with Jesus. And what more personal relationship could a person have than eating the flesh and drinking the blood of another mm-hmm. person? And the scriptures are very clear, and particularly in John 6, when the Lord says, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't do this, you will not have eternal life in you. By receiving the body and blood of the Lord, we are elevated. You know, we are made ready, made fit for the kingdom of heaven. And I think that, you know, some of you forget that because the reception of Holy Communion, the celebration of the Eucharist can become so mechanical we become so distracted, or the veil, the sacramental veil, the fact that we're dealing with accidents of 
touch, taste, sight, and so on. The fact that it just looks like bread, the fact that it just looks like wine. Sometimes we get caught up on those things, and we're not willing to invest, really, the work of the soul in that. But when we do, you understand what it is that we're truly celebrating, what it is, who it is we're receiving, and what His grace is going to do within us. Then we begin to understand this really is the summit and source of, of everything we do. And this is the radical nature of my relationship with Jesus. I tell people sometimes that the Mass is so important. Our celebration as a faith community is so important, especially on the day of the Lord's Resurrection on Sunday. Church obliges us to attend Mass. We're obliged to attend Mass. And we come together in order to celebrate this because it's here that the Lord gives us everything that we need, everything that we want. And it's so important and essential part of our Catholic faith now, when someone asks, are you a practicing Catholic? We know what they're asking. Do you go to Mass? You can do everything else in the Church, the novenas, the fasts, everything else in the Church. But if you don't go to Mass, you're not a practicing Catholic. That's the core, because the core of who we are is the Eucharistic presence of the Lord Jesus in our midst. I think that's what the Pope's trying to get across to us. You know, it's interesting, Father. Uh, last weekend, uh, business took me out to Las Vegas, and... Uh... And I was very nervous about finding a, a good place to go to Mass. And I, I found this little church. There was an old priest there, and he had been sitting in front of the Eucharist for about a half hour before Mass. In his sermon, he goes, so many Catholics don't understand what we have here. You know, when you come into this church, you need to genuflect. But why? Because, you know, you have the person of Christ here. And he kept pointing out reverence, reverence, reverence. And I was just so impressed, and it really drove home that Christ is the center of every church. That, that's what makes a, a Catholic church different when you walk into it. You, you have the real presence of Christ, and he is the, the center and summit of this, of this world. And just to, to finish up with that theme that the Eucharist is the heart of the Christian life, Benedict, Pope Benedict argues that the Eucharist can change the world, and he says, indeed, it's the only thing that can. Mm-hmm. 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 It's an Irish tradition, but a tradition that, that we always observe in our family, that every time we pass a Catholic church, you know, we bless ourselves because we know our Lord's right there, and we acknowledge that he's there. Every time we pass uh, St. Francis Catholic Hospital, we're always uh, blessing ourselves. And that's a tradition that I grew up with, too. Oh, good, yeah. We always bless ourselves when we pass a Catholic church. Absolutely. But uh, here, Ralph, if I did that, I think I'd be blessed with <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every city Everywhere you turn. <laughs> That's right, Father. Okay, let's move on. And the next thing that Pope Benedict really wants us to take to heart is Christianity as being a positive message. Catholics get the rap for being such a structured and and such a disciplined church. But really, if we look at it as being a positive thing, these are the things that I can't do, but it frees me to do everything else that is good. And I think that's what Pope Benedict is getting at here. He wants us to focus on the positives of our faith, not the way other people think of it as just a bunch of rules and regulations that you have to. Yeah, there's always two ways you can express something. My wife always takes me to task when I say, you know, let's say our little three-year-old or whatever is about to run in the street, and I say, don't run in the street. She says, no, tell them what to do. Don't tell them what not to do. Stay in the yard. And, and so it's it's two sides of the same coin, but you know, our Holy Father is so brilliant in, once again, expressing the truths of our faith in positive terms as opposed to in negative terms. Absolutely, Gus. In fact, what's very interesting about the Holy Father in this regards is that when he was first elected Pope, 
Pope Benedict was actually, of all the fields of theology, he felt that he was theologically trained the least in moral theology. He chose a Dominican, a moral theologian, as his own papal theologian. You might recall that the Pope has certain theologians that he names who are his immediate and confidential advisors in the realms of theology. And so he specifically said, I need a moral theologian, because he felt that of all the areas, that was the one that he needed the most assistance with. And yet, any of us who listen to what he's saying, and particularly this positive message that he is sharing and, and holding up and presenting and exhorting us all to follow, we see actually just the opposite, that he is a very strong man who has a very loving sense of, of who God is, of what the Lordship of Jesus Christ means. It's a Lordship not of repression, but of freedom. And now we're called to follow the way of the Lord Jesus. In the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, when some of the disciples walk away, and it says many of his disciples chose no longer to follow him, and they went back to their former way of life. They chose not to follow him along the way, and they went back to their former way of life. And for us who choose the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who see in him everything, we understand that no, we have to follow the way. We have to follow the way. And sometimes it's difficult, which is why he's walking it with us. And this is a positive thing, because I'd rather be honest than a liar. Actually, rather be kind than cruel. And I can't be these things by myself. And if I get off the way, that's who I'm going to become. And all that's going to lead to is self-hatred and ultimately to hell. But in Jesus, in this positive message that he gives us, the power of his grace within us, the message the Holy Father is holding up to us is follow Jesus. It won't be easy, but it is a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. A yoke that is easy, a burden that is light, because Jesus is carrying it with us. And he's walking away with us. I love in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. And I really think that's the heart of what Pope Benedict is trying to tell us. And if people, you know, see the joy that you have living out your Catholic faith, then they will want to have that joy, too. But you have to let that shine through you. You have to you have to express that joy always. And, you know, we have a living faith. Your faith can't be dead. It has to be a living faith. And it has to be a faith that's full of action and love and, and self-giving. And people will want the joy that you reflect in right. that. The early Christians, the pagans would look at them and say, see how they love one another. You know, we draw people to Christianity, to Christ by example and by love. Christ never repelled anybody. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. There's a lot of buzz going on about the law of attraction in this world. Oh, you can attract whatever you want. But Christ attracts. He attracts. He never compels. The real law of attraction is Christ putting himself out there, not forcing him. He lets he lets the disciples walk away, like you said, Father, and go back to their former life um, because it was a hard teaching. And then he also said to the disciples, if they choose not to listen to you, then kick the dust off your feet and leave town and go to the next town. Well, that was a little harsher than, yeah. Well, yeah, but he gave, they had the choice. Exactly. They had exactly. the choice. He, he doesn't compel the door, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The handle is on the inside of the door. We have the power to open that door, and he's not going to barge down the door. He, he He's going to draw us till our dying breath. He's going to be calling us uh what was that, Francis? Uh, I forget the name of the author, Father, but the, the hound of heaven, you know, the hound of heaven is always chasing after us. That's right, the, the poem by Francis Thompson. Thompson, exactly, that's right. That he continues to seek us and to call us 
you know, and, and this isn't an external call. This isn't you know a desire for him to dominate us. But this is a call that, if we pause and are honest with ourselves, we begin to realize that this is a call that certainly he's making, but one that echoes inside our soul, because we recognize Jesus tells us that the sheep they recognize the voice of the shepherd, and when the Lord calls, there is an inter- internal push, a desire, for us to respond because. We recognize the voice of the shepherd. Our soul recognizes the voice. And we just have to be willing to surrender and let him change us for the good, to the holy. He calls for us, and we have to be willing to let him work. And that sometimes is the greatest challenge. I think we've covered that one pretty well. So let's move on to another theme of Pope Benedict, and that is that the church, its job is to form consciences, but it must stay out of politics. That's another highlight of what he wants to talk about. And this is so important because he talks about how the church can do so much much more good if it does stay out of politics. Mm -hmm. It can state the truth. I think the church is very wise to stay out of politics or to, to associate with any one particular political party. I think in particular, liberation theology, which is very strongly tied to Marxism, the Holy Father says, yes, we are very much pro-poor. We, we do believe in the preferential option for the poor, but we, we're not going to embrace Marxism for it. I think the Pope is probably one of the few world leaders who really believes in the goodness of the political world, the political arena, that when he began to speak about the Church addressing aspects in the political arena, but from within our own tradition, within our moral understanding of the human person, and that the moral influence should affect this, these political decisions, that those who have the care, the governance of society, should really care about what is morally good, that they should be concerned about the moral health of society, and that they should discern and be willing to accept the good. And that, of course, is something that we don't always see, <laughs> and yet the Pope's not giving up. Mm-hmm. You know, the Pope's like, no, like, he will continue to gently teach and instruct and call even our political leaders to be honest to the vocation that they've received to govern with kindness and fairness the people within that, their society. And I think that that is a great, going back to the earlier point, a great positive assertion that the Pope is bringing to areas that so oftentimes are marked by cynicism and criticism and, and so on. The Pope says, no, 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 we, we, we have great hope here. Right, even our Lord told Pontius Pilate, you would have no power for it were not given to you by my Father above. So, you know, all political power is given by God. It's a good thing. We do have to have this notion of all politics is, is subject to the, the kingship of Christ. And we need the church to guide us, um, not only in our personal lives, but in society, even though the political parties don't look to the church for any kind of instruction. Nonetheless, we still need the church to guide us. Okay, um, moving on now, we're going to talk about the importance of Catholic identity. And this is so important because um, I think the Pope is trying to stress to us that in this day and age, when you look at Catholic institutions, you know, whether they be universities or hospitals or, or, or even religious orders, some of them are not holding on to the Catholic truth. You know, some of them are getting swayed by this dictatorship of relativism. Right. And I know that's 
kind of come up with us and our family because my son is looking at Catholic colleges. So we are closely looking at these institutions to make sure that they are in line with the Catholic teachings. Uh, it used to be that we referred to Christianity in general as Christendom. There was just a whole strong sense in, in Europe up until the Protestant Reformation there was a very strong sense of Catholic culture. It just imbued your everyday living, and our Holy Father really wants to connect us to that. We, we talked about it a little bit, Father, at the beginning with the liberating of the, of the traditional Latin Mass and calling it the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. You know, our connection to Catholic culture uh, is very strong in that regard. Um, what are your thoughts on how the Holy Father wants us to live a Catholic culture? What's amazing, just as, as we're going through the, the various themes in Pope Benedict's pontificate, we, we see this beautiful harmony, how each one kind of just leads to the other. And I think that, the, you know, this question of, of Catholic identity is, what do you believe? Do you believe God is love? Do you believe in the Lordship of Christ? Do you believe that freedom and truth walk hand in hand? Do you believe that, that faith is reasonable? You know, we just go through step by step, and everything we've discussed in our show today and we come to that conclusion of, well, if you believe all these things, then how should your life look? How should your religious order look, or your hospital, or your school look, if you believe all these things? And there, we don't have to guess, because there, the tradition of the Church comes in and shows us exactly how these things could look, how a religious order should look, a Catholic hospital, a Catholic school, a Catholic family, a Catholic person. Here, here is what I'm supposed to be, here's where... I am and, and what I am, and, and okay, now I need the help of God's grace to do this, to be there, to get there. And I think that's a challenge for each of us and a challenge for our institutions within the Church. We know that in the last 40 years, the Church has examined a lot, and oftentimes in moments of examination or evaluation, sometimes things are accidentally thrown out, or things are forgotten, or dismissed, or things are willfully manipulated or disfigured. And I think right now what we're doing is we're experiencing this new springtime in the Church that Pope John Paul II frequently spoke of. And what we're seeing is a fruition of 40 years of sincere discernment on the part of many. And we're beginning to see the Church reconstituted under the Lordship of Christ, under these principal themes that we've been discussing. And we begin to once again see with clarity what it is to have Catholic identity. You know, we saw a great challenge in the social order in regards to healthcare, the bishops saying one thing, other Catholic groups saying a different. And we see that even that is beginning to be worked out. The fact that it is so clear now what is Catholic and what is not, we see it in our universities, most recently with the invitation to Notre Dame by our president, and the challenge by many bishops, the fact that we see that there's a difference, the fact that we see what we're called to be as Catholics, and that there's this clarity. We didn't have that before, but now we do. And it's going to take a little bit while for us as people and as a church to become more comfortable and perhaps more assertive with this Catholic identity. This is what it means to know that God is love. This is the way of life that is called for by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what truth and freedom and faith and reason look like when they're allowed to complement one another. This is what it means to be Catholic. So I think the Holy Father's point in this regard touches the heart of so many issues 
within the church. And our Catholic identity is essential because of what we're called to be outside the church. You know, guys, you mentioned about Acts of the Apostles. The fact that the non-believers would see the Christian community and say, that's what I want. That's what I want. Our Catholic identity is essential to the power that we can be as witnesses. The Lord says we're called to be salt, light, and leaven. And the way that we are that, this salt, light, and leaven, is by truly being Catholic, by holding on to this Catholic identity to the best of our efforts and with the cooperation of God's grace. I think that's what the Pope is really directing us toward. I liked how you talked, Father, about being assertive with our faith. When we go to church on Sundays, it's not just the Sunday obligation, but it's going out and living your faith every day and being assertive in that if you're out at a restaurant, you pray before your meal, whether you're in public or not, whether people are watching or not. Make the sign of the cross in public. Today on the way here, I was on the phone with somebody, and he he had to get off the phone with me real quick because he noticed the nursing home where his father is was calling him, and he said, I don't think it's anything bad, but let me get right back to you. And he called me back a few minutes later, and he said, oh, everything's okay. And I said, well, I prayed just in case. Just pray in public. Be ready to live your faith 24-7, you know, and not be ashamed of it. And exactly. I, not I know, be ashamed. Not be ashamed, because when I first came to South Carolina, and at first I just kind of clammed up and didn't let anybody know that I was Catholic and didn't make a point of letting anybody know I was Catholic because I was intimidated. But... We can't be intimidated. We have to come out and we have to wear our faith as our armor. We have to be out there and be prepared. I grew up where, you know, you, you kind of keep your faith to yourself and all that. But, you know, I make the sign of the cross and I, I don't I, I try not to pay attention to whether someone's noticing me or not because I want to give thanks to God for what, what we're about to receive. That's That, that was a good And if you make a good there. witness, then great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. And isn't it so oftentimes the case that when we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing, praying, forgiving, showing kindness, that when we just do what we're called to do as human beings and specifically as Christians, the power of that witness, literally a light shining to all the world to see. That's powerful. And of course, that that would then lead us to our final theme. You know, if, if we're going to live as other Christ in the world, we have to realize that, that Christ came and he founded a church. And so we have a lot of good uh, brothers and sisters who love Christ. I have many friends who, who I know they love Christ. I, I have no doubt about it. But Christ came and founded a church. So we can't say, I'm for Jesus, but I don't, I don't practice any particular faith or I'm non-denominational. Well, you know, Christ came and he founded a church, and he wants us to be part of that. And Christ and the church are inseparable. Absolutely. And I tell you, that is an issue, as with each of these themes, that really touches the heart of the Holy Father because he really sees the church as as do the scriptures as the body of Christ. And so the idea that an individual member does not need the church, that a specific Christian does not need the church as constituted by Christ is something that the Holy Father struggles with. He says, if you don't have your faith in the midst of the church, then what Jesus are you worshiping? And how do you know if he's the true one? How do you know that your vision of Jesus isn't simply vanity? How do you know that this is the true, historical, real Jesus if your faith is outside of the living tradition of the faith community, outside of the church? 
And for the Pope, it goes right to the heart of the credibility of the Christian message that we can show through the papacy and through the apostles, the apostolic succession from the time of Peter and the apostles to now, in an unbroken line, the passing of the authority and the teachings among the shepherds of the church, in the midst of the communities that surround them, that living faith, we can see it passed from then, the life of the Lord, to now. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this unbroken line, we know that what we believe is true, that I can stake my life on it. As one professor of mine says, the apostolic succession is our insurance policy that this is true. And so we need the church, and the church holds all the fullness that God wants to give us. The sacraments, the means of salvation, the fullness of the Lord's teaching and his preaching while he was on earth, its authentic interpretation through time, all that is contained in the church, the fullness of the Christian revelation. And through the church, the Lord offers this to humanity. So we need the church. We need the church. Someone told me one time, well, I don't like organized religion. I don't know if you ever thought about the Catholic Church, because we're not organized at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I really see that we're like the largest disorganized religion. And obviously because we're a church made up of human beings. Right. But I think that the, the Catholic Church is one of the most powerful gifts given to humanity. It's there within her fold that we find the sacraments, the teaching, the preaching. Pope Benedict constantly points to the church. Because of the church, for herself, no. Because the church really is the bride of Christ. Because the church reflects the glory of God. The church points to her Lord constantly. The early fathers used to refer to Mary and the church as the moon, that the Lord was the sun, and Our Lady and the church were the moon. They reflect the glory of the sun onto the earth. And I think that's a powerful symbol. It helps us to understand how this works, that the church is necessary so that we know who Jesus is. That's why the Pope emphasizes it. This isn't about territorialism. This isn't about joining the club. This isn't about a fear that our numbers are dropping. None of those. This is an authentic concern that the Jesus we worship and that we follow, that he's the true Jesus, and that his message will give life, not just ideology. It'll give grace and not falsehood. That's why I think the Pope is pointing us to the church. Well, just to wrap that up, you know, Christ and the church as being inseparable, Pope Benedict says, when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to the church. And, and that's the important message that he wants us to get there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pathways to Rome. And if you would like to listen to this episode again, please go on the website to www.catholicradioinsc.com. Under local programming, you can listen to this program again. Father, would you please give us a blessing? The Lord be with you. And, and also, also with, with you. you. And now, Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You've been listening to Pathways to Rome, starring Father Jeffrey Kirby, along with Kathy Kerfoot and Gus Killo. Pathways to Rome is a Mediatrics radio production and can be heard weekly at this time. For more information about this show, or if you would like to listen to previous broadcasts, visit our website, www.catholicradioinsc.com. That's catholicradioinsc.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless.